show she is back uh cassandra shand uh we were on a couple weeks ago talking about ukraine and russia and putin and china and everything going on you might have heard a few things have happened in that regard since then so we're going to revisit it see what we got right see what we got wrong thrilled to have you back my friend how are you good thank you i'm happy to be here thank you for having me yeah she's another one of our great partners from young voices uh she has those fancy degree things from cambridge and the university of chicago and a little school called UCLA you might have heard of, well-documented. You've done a lot of studying before this. Let's just kind of zoom out for a second before we get back into Ukraine. You've done studying and writing on things like power structures and greater power dynamics. We've framed this whole thing as Russia versus NATO, and that's a big chunk of it. But what are some of the power dynamics involved here besides just that? Because we've got China involved, India's right there, Russia's right there, NATO and Europe, which are not the same thing, although everybody's kind of using those interchangeably right now. That's not accurate, and it's important to distinguish Mm -hmm. those two things. And then, of course, America. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts here. Just kind of give us the big picture power dynamics here. Yeah, well, I think for I think one of the most important aspects about foreign policy is that no decision, whether that be inaction or action, is isolated. Everything has an immediate effect. Um, You might see the next day. You might see, I mean, a year or two from now. Um, But right now we have like Ukraine, Russia. That that's been like kind of like a a Soviet era issue. prevalent since then. We have a lot of these historical dramas in, in uh, the Asian region. We have um, the U.S. still trying to retain its like post-Cold War era dominance. Um, and then um, around like the big three big three players, right? China, U.S., Russia, you have a bunch of um, other states like India trying to kind of become maybe the next China, next America. Um, you have countries like Taiwan and Ukraine trying to retain sovereignty. And so I think you see a, a big mix of these kind of like smaller players aiming for more power, middle powers trying to keep the power they have right now. And then uh, these large dominant powers trying to struggle and uh, maintain as much power as possible and eventually dominate the entire international system. Yeah. And one of the things about foreign policy, I, I like to break things down to simple things because I'm a simple guy and I like simple concepts. The thing about foreign policy is if you're going to be effective in foreign policy, it has to be coherent and it has to be consistent. And when you're talking about these power dynamics, one of the things is just real simple here is Vladimir Putin has had a plan for the better part of 25, 30 years on what he wants, how he wants to get there. And that's what he's doing now. And there's not that coherency in the Western countries or in the European countries. They're not coherent and they're not consistent. Part of that's because they're democratically elected and leadership rolls over. But some of it is just uh, fractured attention, like you said. That's just the simple dynamic that we overlook when we start talking about these things. And it? they're like, hey, this guy's got a plan. Nobody else does. And then we wonder why everybody's being reactionary. Well, there's why you're reactionary. No, absolutely. I think um, something that sets the West apart is the fact that, well, you look at China. China has a very, very blatant long-term strategic outlook. It's planning 50 years ahead. Putin, maybe not so much. I think he's very much focused on Ukraine, Ukraine, um, just like kind of like 
Soviet era issues. But the U.S., I think that uh, we kind of suffer from a scatterplot foreign policy. We kind of just pick out whatever. Um, nothing is linear. And I, I, um, I'm actually kind of frustrated. I think we kind of need some sort of foreign policy accountability at this point. I think that in this past year alone, I mean, we've seen a lot of um, really bad foreign policy errors. And I think uh, we're paying for them as a country for years to come. Um, but we need some sort of system in place to just check ourselves. I, I think none of what we're doing right now is really making sense. And I think that, I mean, this crisis itself, like this should have been, we knew about it for months. We've known about, we've, we've known about the invasion for a very long time. Again, it's been, a, it's an intelligence win, but um, it's a foreign policy failure on our part again. Yeah. Talking to Cassandra Shan from Young Voices. Ed, you brought it up. President Biden talked about it in his address uh, yesterday. He said, you know, we we've been saying this since November. They have. Uh, this is one of those things where the intelligence actually did work. Part of the problem was, though, a lot of people didn't believe it because of everything that's gone on in the past. And then the other half of it is, is you can know what they're going to do all day long. But if you don't have any kind of mechanism to react or actually a willpower to react, it doesn't matter. Part of that accountability you're talking about is we're just not learning lessons anymore. We're not learning the lessons from Afghanistan. We didn't learn the lessons from the war on terror. We haven't learned the lessons from the cold, the post-Cold War era, I should say, where uh, a lot of the seeds of what's going on with Russia right now were sown. How do we get that accountability? Because it sure doesn't look like congressional oversight is doing it. It doesn't look yeah. like the executive's interested in it. Where's this going to come from? I think, uh, I mean, I think part of it is definitely this whole like, okay, we don't want to be involved in foreign conflict mentality. Um, but I think that's made us very complacent in the way we conduct foreign policy. It's made us that we don't have to commit to anything anymore. Um, and I think this put us in a very bad place. But one thing, at least in the past few days that I've seen, I think there's kind of a coalescing of support um, from both sides of the aisle around supporting Ukraine, which is, I think is definitely a departure from what we've seen over the past like five or six years, um, which I think is very, pro- I mean, uh, very telling, I think, about the direction of our the future of our foreign policy. This might be like just like a crazy idea, but I mean, I, I mean, just something as simple as like a ranking system every year of like, okay, this year we had a bad foreign policy year. Just something, just like at this point, just like any kind of like self-awareness of like how we're conducting um, our affairs abroad, I think is important. And I just, I don't think, I think the biggest issue is the fact that I don't, it doesn't seem like we're, I mean, retaining any, any lessons that we've, we should have learned from our past errors. So yeah, I don't know. We need, we need to change our ways. We need to be aware of where we've messed up, where we can, we can have improvement and we're just not doing that. Um, and I think it really comes down to like the media civic pressure. I mean, we need answers. Um, this is not okay. Yeah. I took the angle on it back when, uh, when Afghanistan collapsed and when we went through all that, I went back to the Vietnam era and I, I drew the conclusion of, you know, the United States military did a lot of soul searching, completely retooled how they did almost everything top to bottom. And we got the military that we had through the 90s and 2000s. That was inarguably the best military in the world. But mm-hmm. the government side of that, we never had a government process like that where the government and the foreign policy apparatus and the Defense Department wider, meaning the bureaucratic side, they didn't go through that process. And I don't know how we ever get them to do a process like that because we had the Vietnam failure. We've had successes since then, Gulf War One, but now we've had the war on terror problems. Afghanistan, we saw what happened there. Now we have this, which is fracturing NATO. And I know everybody's united now, but how long is that really going to last? Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks? I, 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 just, I hate to repeat the question again, but if there's no accountability here, We're just going to keep doing this over and over again. And the accountability has to come through a bureaucratic section of government that has shown itself to be very resistant. Yeah, I honestly think it comes to the ground up. 
I mean, as simple as it gets, I think that, um, I mean, I guess like the war on terror stuff, you'd think we would have had, we would have like an in place, like solidified accountability structure. Instead, we kind of rely on these like presidential election cycles, but they're clearly ineffective in uh, mitigating any foreign policy errors. We're in the same situation, honestly. I mean, it, it, I mean, no matter what administration you look at, we have had some major, major foreign policy disasters and we need to, we need to keep getting better and we're just not. So I think it, it kind of starts from the bottom up. Yeah, I just, it, it's disheartening for me. I mean, I'm early 20s and I love foreign policy and I was hoping there's something left when I'm finally like, you know, able to be involved myself. So yeah, it's frustrating being a foreign policy person in the last few years because America traditionally always has had an isolationist streak to it, but it does come in cycles where, you know, they're more involved yeah. in the world and then they kind of retreat back. We're just in historically, because when you study foreign policy, you got to have your history down. We're just mm-hmm. in a cycle where America just is not interested in foreign policy whatsoever right now. But that hurt. You, let's go back to those power uh, structures you talked about, the the mm-hmm. power dynamics. When we start out a negotiation with somebody like Vladimir Putin with, we're not going to put any troops in the field. That's a massive mm-hmm. leverage point that we just gave away for free right off the jump. And it just came out of kind of the the predominant cycle that, of thought that we're in. We're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot on a lot of this foreign policy stuff just out of kind of late level laziness, aren't we? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest tells is the fact that the first sanction Biden announced, I think on what, Tuesday? Um, if you look at the ruble right after his announcement, it didn't really move. Um, that's crazy. It's crazy that, I mean, as a, as a country, as, a, as America, we can announce like broad sweeping sanctions and they can have a very minimal media effect. Um, that's rarely seen. So I think that just goes to show that we uh, have the right tools. Uh, we're not good at conveying, at choosing the right tool to use at the right time and then conveying how we're going to use that tool. And absolutely, you're 100% right. There's no reason why we should ever exclude um, any option. I mean, with the exception of nuclear. I mean, that's a given, I think, as a civilized country. But other than that, like... Yeah, I agree. And to, to your point, the ruble did finally collapse, but it's when Boris Johnson yeah. of the UK talked about it because mm-hmm. so much of the dirty money from the ro- Russian oligarchy that actually runs the country goes through London. But that's another matter for another day. Uh, we're talking to Cassandra Sand. When we come back on her tell after the break, we're going to get into Ukraine a little more specifically, the Russian invasion, what we got right, what we got wrong. When we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we'll hold ourselves accountable since we're demanding that of the government. We'll do it of ourselves try to piece together where we're going to go from here. We'll be right back on Hertel right after this. Uh, Welcome back to Hertel. We're talking to our friend Cassandra Shand from Young Voices. Okay, uh, let's hold ourselves up to the fire a little bit. I went back and listened, uh, and you can on any of the podcasting platforms or the YouTube channel. Uh, you were on a couple weeks ago. We did okay on some things. We understood that this was a real threat from Vladimir Putin. We understand he was covetous of Ukraine from the Soviet era, even going back further than that, Imperial Russia, the czars, he likes to appeal to that sort of stuff. So this is a very deep thing with the history of Russia and Ukraine. We had both, I guess, hoped that this was going to be a brinksmanship thing. Clearly that did not happen. So we were wrong there. We also Mm -hmm. hoped if he did incur, he was going to limit himself maybe to the regions that were already kind of quasi under separatist control. 
that's clearly not happening because he's going to drive on uh, Kiev, and it looks like he's trying to get a land bridge built down to Crimea. What's a couple things that jumped out at you that's maybe changed in the last few weeks since we've talked about this now that we have, uh, I guess, day two or three of the invasion to go off of? Um, I think, I mean, immediately, right? I think his uh, Putin's anti-Nazism little justification for invading Ukraine is very interesting, given the fact that Zelensky is uh, Jewish. Um, that was just kind of ironic to me. Um, but I mean, and, and I think in a, in a broader sense, I think things that jumped out to me the most are kind of like the West's reaction to this issue. Um, we had like a minor, like was like um, an invasion to the East, a minor incursion. It, it, it created like some small sanctions on the U.S.'s part. And now what we're doing, uh, Biden announced today, is broader um, round of sanctions that, I mean, do not are not swift sanctions and they do not punish Putin um, directly. I think that was kind of a surprise to me. I, I thought they would have, like, the Biden administra- administration would have gone a little further in their immediate reaction. Um, I'm surprised that, I mean, like, I'm, so, I'm, I'm mostly surprised, actually, the fact that um, you see a lot of progressive groups and you see a lot of conservative groups, like, I mean, honestly, advocating for the same thing. They want military accountability um, with Ukraine. They they want um they want to see change. They want to, they want to help the Ukrainian people, which I think is, um, it, it's surprising. I think with uh, other conflicts, you wouldn't have seen as much bipartisan support, but this has it. So, um, yeah, unlawful invasion. I mean, there's just no real way. I mean, I know we got a couple of the usual suspect talking heads on certain network TV programs that are doing it, but by and large, there, there's just no defensible way for a war of aggression. It's just so obvious. I think it cuts through this stuff. The other, the other thing, and I think you were right to bring it up here, the sanctions, Two questions that immediately jumped to my mind is the the administration officials on background reporters are making it very abundantly clear that they did not want to interrupt the energy flow out of Russia to Europe, which mm-hmm. I, I understand why they don't want to put your allies in a bad spot, but that's the money trying to. So if you're going to do sanctions and yeah. don't touch that, what's the point of that? And the other one is, and we had this bizarre thing with with President Biden taking the questions where they're straight asking him. Press actually got a little rowdy about this. Why aren't we mm-hmm. why aren't we sanctioning Vladimir Putin himself personally? By some accounts, he may be the wealthiest man in the world because of so much illicit money going through here. Yeah. Why isn't anybody? Why aren't we sanctioning him directly? And the president wouldn't even touch it like he wouldn't. He said, well, it's on the table, but nobody will touch that one. Why is that? I I, I have this like sneaking suspicion. I have two actually. I'm not sure which one it is. Either the, the U.S. we know deep down that these sanctions, once we, we go full all out, swift sanction, Putin sanction, everything, they're going to be less effective than we're intending. I think that's one consequence that um, the Biden administration is a little fearful fearful of, because that, I mean, that would be logical. Um, I think that's in the back of their mind. Alternatively, I think I, I think that um, there's a potential that the fact, uh, the potential that in like backdoor diplomatic channels, um, Russia is hinting at some attack of some sort. That would make sense. Those, those are the only two reasons I, I I could see where we wouldn't be uh, sanctioning Putin. Because other than that, like without one of those, then it makes there's not really logic in our sanction strategy at all. Um, also, to your previous question about things that have, have surprised me about this uh, kind of the aftermath of like the initial invasion um, is China. I did not think that China would kind of like so openly um, uh, almost endorse Russia. China's had a, a long history of kind of remaining out of conflict. And I mean, it's, I mean, China has not pledged any military support directly, but um, it's accepting wheat now from Russia, where it previously, for, I mean, a while has not out of their own, like, 
fear over like wheat um, contaminants or whatever. But I mean, now they're like, I think that China has helped Russia massively evade sanctions. And I think that um, one of the big effects of this conflict, I think we're going to see uh, kind of a revaluation of how the world perceives sanctions. I mean, they already have a very um, negative stereotype, but um, I think that Russia and China in particular has spent years trying to figure out ways to evade sanctions. Um, and I think, I think that might be part of the reason why we have not gotten most of sanctions yet. Yeah. Yeah, talking to Cassandra Shan, two things that jumped out at me about the sanctions also was when he listed the countries involved, the two glaring uh, omissions of countries involved was China, like you said, which was not overly surprising, but the other one was India was not mentioned. Now, China, we understand what's going on. India, I get it because it's it's not only economic for them and not only are they in a rock and a hard place because they got things like, you know, Pakistan and Kashmir and then they've got, you know, the China influence that they're dealing with. Their entire military structure is based off Russian equipment, almost all of it to the point that remember a couple of years ago, we, we kind of did the handshake deal and, and wink, wink, nudge, nudge of we're not going to raise a stink, even though you're our ally because you're buying stuff from because they'd have to restructure their entire defense system. So we kind of just look the other way mm-hmm. on that. So I kind of get that. But even if you really crack down on them, and we, we saw the Soviet economy react to the London ones because all the money goes through London. If mm-hmm. India and China are not on board with these sanctions, they may hurt, but they're not going to be critical because that's a big chunk of economy and open uh, commerce that they're going to have available to them just from those two countries alone. And there's going to be all the subsidiaries that come along with it. Did that jump out at you, too, that those two nations were not mentioned? Absolutely. I um. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's increasingly concerning. I'm just, I'm not convinced of the effectiveness of sanctions in this case. I think that, um, yeah, Putin evaded anyways. I think it's as simple as that. He's known the biggest threat is us with sanctions and he's (laughs) did it anyways. I I don't, I mean, I also think it's, uh, it was interesting today uh, because while while Russia's invading Ukraine, um, China's done another one of the flyovers, Taiwan. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine like, scary times it's scary times and the and mm-hmm. of course taiwan's a little different because it is an island they would have to do amphibious and it, it, that's a whole nother beast of thing mm-hmm. but china's got their eye on other areas besides just taiwan too yeah and the concern too is uh if he doesn't stop in ukraine you know does he start looking at you know does he start looking up in the north and start looking at estonia and latvia yeah. and those places like well i'd like to have them back too because they have been very successful countries independently does he start looking at other places um i've been struck because i've just from observing him for a while his demeanor on television the way even his syntax of his speech and i know we're working off translators so it's a little different he -hmm. looks completely different he sounds completely different his mannerisms are completely different what what does that tell you about this is this just him in his final form where he's just you know all out of f's to give and he's just being himself is it the pressure of it? Is something going on with him? I know there's been rumors about his health and such. Is this just in stage dictator where, you know, he's been around yes men so long that he really has lost touch with reality? What do you make of it? Because it's glaringly obvious to anybody that's watched Vladimir Putin. He is very, very different the last couple of weeks when he's appeared in public. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that he announced the invasion out of like a pre televised, uh, pre recorded television um segment i thought that was a kind of unique in itself um then again like he's definitely been planning this invasion for a while um i mean at least since november the invasion itself like we've 
been pretty confident about it for the past few months. So um, I'm not sure if anything immediate has changed with Putin, but um, no, he's a uh, Ukraine is his issue. He this has been his like a uh, fixation for years. Um, so I. While it does come as a surprise to me that he has invaded, I, I truly did think that it would just be like kind of a rallying cry um, to keep getting him elected. I I don't think it's as simple as just uh, putting in like a new like uh, puppet dictator in Ukraine. I think that I think he wants Ukraine as part of Russia. So I think he does too. And one thing yeah. that kind of gives me a little bit of hope though is, you know, for him to win here, he actually has to take over the country in some shape or form, even if it's through a puppet or whatever. For the Ukrainians to win, they just got to stay in the field and try to delay this thing out and make it cost the Russians enough that eventually they're going to have to pull out and yeah. stop. What kind of time frame are we realistically looking for? Would they have to hold out for weeks? Would they have to hold out for months? We know Russia's economy is going to be taking some hits here. Um, we know that there's international pressure. Realistically, mm-hmm. though, what's what's the time frame we're looking at that, that Ukraine would have to stay in the field and at least not have a total collapse of Kiev or their government to really put pressure on Putin and the pe- better better yet, the people that Putin has to listen to his oligarch buddies. And that's kind of the crime syndicate that runs Russia. Is that weeks? Is that months? How long would they have to hold out to really get enough pressure to maybe change the dynamic here? It honestly really depends on what Russia decides to do next. I think that um, and underrated underrated weapons in, in its arsenal. Um, I mean, thermobaric rockets, that's just crazy. I mean, can you imagine if they, I mean, instead of nuclear, it's a step below nuclear. It's not chemical. It's not um, biological, but there's super high power rockets that um, if you're within like the vicinity of a shockwave, your lungs collapse. I mean, that's crazy, but I could, I could very well see Russia kind of, um, pursuing that route and if if they if russia does like kind of escalate beyond like i i say what we now view as a like conventional military weapons um it's a whole different ball game um and i don't think i think um nato might intervene the u.n might intervene but the u.s itself will intervene and i think that um we as like uh, the west suffers i mean russia has a very clear tactical and operational dominance i think already i don't think we'll be able to i think come close to that um so I don't know if it's a matter of Ukraine holding out. I I just don't know what Russia's thinking. I mean, I mean they've taken out a ton of sites in, in a day. Um, I think what seventy targets have been according to Russia. Um, that that's that that's very quick. Um, kind of a surprise at, at at Russia's ability to kind of um, enter Ukraine as quickly as it did with three different sides. I think um, Belarus. I, I think. The U.S. at the very minimum should be very hard on Belarus. Um, like right now, I think I don't think we're hard enough. I think it should be all over um, the news. The fact that uh, Belarus is kind of key to um, Russia, Russia's success, um, but I think the the situation is very kind of disappointing. I think if you look at the demographic uh, makeup of Ukraine, I think I've seen some estimates where it's uh, roughly seventeen percent of the population, um, including Crimea, is pro-Russia, which again is not very much at all. Russia's in Kiev. We, Americans, we really think, I mean, our, our national security um, saw Kiev's potential, but I mean, we, we didn't do anything, but we've let it happen at this point. Like we knew they were going to invade and we slapped on some small sanctions and that's kind of been it. So um, I honestly think that as a country, kind of, we've kind of left Ukraine to the wolves. I, it's just sad. And to, to, not to be uh, really negative here for a second, though, 
as much as we're talking about how bad it would be if Russia takes over Ukraine, I don't know if people have understood that if this doesn't work for Putin, this is an all or nothing move for him. If this fails and he loses face and Ukraine can at least hold out or make it very costly for him, mm-hmm. you have destabilized Russia. Uh, Belarus will probably be destabilized because not only do you have a because Putin's the only thing that held Levinchenko in power. Um, so that could destabilize. There's actually no good win here because either Ukraine falls and the region destabilizes or Russia loses face and Putin's aura falls and that destabilizes everything. That could actually almost be worse in some ways. So there, there's no good answer here. This is going to go bad either which way. Is that is that overstating the facts, though? No, I think that's uh, pretty accurate. I think uh I think for me, at least, uh, the announcement, the, the news headline, right, of uh, Ukraine's been invaded, it, it'll be go, it'll be one of those, like, moments I remember in my life, whereas where was I when I saw the uh, headlines? I think this is something that's going to, I mean, we're going to see these effects of the, the Russia-Ukraine crisis for years to come, and uh, Russia is completely responsible for everything that happens. Um, yeah, and Putin doesn't really have an option. He has to win. You're absolutely right. I mean, he... He, he can't go home to Russia with his head hanging down. He can't like, uh, yeah, he's going, he's going for the kill. I, 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 that's how it is now. When we were back, like discussing brinksmanship, that was a different story, but um, yeah, he's crossed the line. He's. I've, yeah. I've actually worried and I, I'm just talking out loud here. I'm not so mm-hmm. understand where I'm coming from with this. If it looks like they're not going to win in Ukraine, I think that's when this gets really, really dangerous because then what are they really capable of? Um, so just kind of something to keep in the back of their mind. We hope the Ukrainians hold them off. Uh, they will see. This is the early stages of this thing. This is all staging right now. The real big push into the country yeah. will come probably in the next day or two militarily. So we'll have to update it then. Uh, Cassandra Shan, thank you for coming back. Uh, probably going to have to make you a regular you on this because we're going to have to keep talking about this for <laughs> God knows how long, because this is really going to be something that changes a lot of geopolitics for a long time to come. Uh, let folks know where they can find you on your social media and your writing stuff. You're on Young Voices with us, and we're proud to have you with us. Let people know where they can follow you and follow your work. Yeah, sure thing. You can follow me on Twitter at Cassandra Shand. Uh, thank you. Thrilled to have you back. Thank you for coming back on. Uh, we'll see how our predictions and analysis hold up here in another week or two. I, and and more, another, we hope there's not just massive, massive bloodshed. It looks hard to avoid, but we we still hold out hope for the Ukrainian people. Above yeah, us. we are praying for them. Yep. So. Cassandra Sand, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate you. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.